0: good morning we are so glad that you can join us here at Central Church we're starting a brand new sermon series today home cooking it'll be for the next four or five weeks and we're gonna talk about those uh, ingredients that you need I'm not going to I'm not gonna give you a bunch of recipes you don't want a recipe for me unless you want to know how to make a bowl of cocoa puffs but but we're gonna give you the recipes for having a healthy and strong home what does it take to have a healthy and strong home. That's the home cooking that we're talking about. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, about uh, the ingredients of kids or, or what to do when storms come into to your home or, or how to deal with aging parent or maybe you are an aging parent and how to navigate through, through that part of life. I realized this week, my dad retired from Ford Motor Company when he was 58 years old. At the time, I thought he was really, really old. I'm turning 58 this year. And so I thought, boy, my boys, they're thinking, you know, oh boy, dad, he's got one foot in the grave. And so, so we're going to talk about some of those things and deal with some of the issues of, of our home life and how to have strong and healthy homes. That's the point of this home cooking series. My cousin um, sent me a picture of the place where my dad uh, grew up. 2380 Cabot Street. I think the the picture is is on the screen. That's that's where my dad grew up. That's the house where everything happened, 2380 Cabot Street. Um, He also sent me not only a picture of the house where they grew up, it was my dad, his mom, and four kids. Um, Not only did he send me that, but he sent me the death certificate of my grandmother. My grandmother's name was Annie, and she died when my dad was three years old. In fact, she died nearly a little over 90 years ago, April 17, 1931. She was 38 years old, three months, 28 days to be exact. That's what the death certificate says. My grandmother Annie died of alcohol poisoning. She was an alcoholic. So was my grandfather Fred. So was every male that had been in their family for as long as anyone could remember. Here's a picture of my dad and his brother Jim and my grandfather, Fred. I don't know what kind of car they're sitting on. Some of you car bus will know. My dad is the young one. Jim is the older one. I look at that picture and that's almost like a Facebook happy picture. They all, I mean, they're all wearing ties. You certainly can't tell that my, my grandfather has an alcohol problem in that picture. He is wearing white socks with black shoes, which I don't know why you would do that. That's a, that's a Facebook happy picture. My grandfather was an alcoholic, which also you can't tell in that picture is Jim, who my grandfather has his hand on Jim's knee. Jim um, had a lot of problems. Uh, Jim contracted polio when he was a boy, and so his one leg was shorter than the other. You can't tell that in the picture. His arm that you can't really see in that picture um, was paralyzed, he could never use that arm. Jim also was an epileptic. He had seizures. I remember growing up, he would come to our house, and I had never seen grandma seizures uh, like him, and he would have them on a, on a regular basis. What you can't tell in that picture, I, I said, I don't know what all happened in 2380 Cabot Street, a home with two, two alcoholics, where the one, my dad's mom, died when my dad was three years old. But I know one thing that happened at 2380 Cabot Street, My alcoholic grandfather had his crippled epileptic son on the roof, who in their right mind would have a crippled epileptic son on the roof helping to repair the roof when he was 12 years old. And Jim fell off the roof, as you might expect. And from then on, he was brain damaged as well. My dad said that before the fall, he was quite intelligent. After the fall, he had the, the mind of a six, seven-year-old. He was stuck in the 1930s. He never really remembered me. He would come to our house every year, twice a year for a period of time, go to his other sisters for a period of time. Some of those years he spent in a mental institution. Sometimes he was in a group home. and his last years of life, I was his guardian. So I would meet with the social worker and, and go over his care. But Jim never really knew me. Again, he was stuck in the 30s. If you asked him who his favorite Tiger baseball player was, you have to be an old timer to remember this name. He would say it was Schoolboy Rowe, a pitcher in the 1930s. He loved the Tigers. He was a good good man, even though his mindset was only six or seven. Every single night, he would get down on his knees as a child might and pray beside his bed and say his nighttime prayers. He was, he was, but he never remembered me. One time, in fact, Carla and I saw him at a baseball game. Of all places, we saw him at Tiger Stadium. And, and so we went up to him, and he was there. The group home had taken, you know, a group of the people to the Tiger game, and, and they were up in the thumb. So how they got down to the Tiger game with all these people, I don't know. But he was just like two sections over. I said, Carla, there's Uncle Jim. So I went up to him, and I said, hey, Uncle Jim. He did not have a clue as to who I was. I said, "I'm Robbie," because that's what they would call. It. I'm Robbie. I'm, I'm 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 Bobby's boy. Nothing. You know me, and I'm trying to explain to my uncle Jim that I'm really his nephew. And finally, he looks at some strange woman sitting next to him and goes, "Yeah, and she's my girlfriend." <laughs> that's my uncle Jim. Our foundation, the Prince Foundation, was alcoholism. And neglect and problems until a teenage boy named Dick Dick Hall invited a teenage girl named Alice Alice Prince to a Sunday school picnic held by the Calvary Detroit Calvary Church of the Nazarene and Alice said yes and eventually as a 16-year-old She married Dick Hall, and she left that home of alcoholism and started her own home. Now, in a couple weeks, I may tell more of Alice's story, because it's a remarkable story, really. But she had six children, four, who made it to adulthood. One of those four became a preacher, my cousin Fred. My dad, when he was an alcoholic, he went to, stumbled into a Nazarene church only because he knew that Alice went to a Nazarene church. Of course, uh, my parents had two preachers, my brother Fred and me. It's interesting that my my aunt Alice and my dad both named their sons after their alcoholic father, Fred. And so he wasn't a terrible person, I don't think. You wouldn't name your son after him, if he, but he was an alcoholic who wasn't always thinking straight. But Alice, So Alice had a son who was a preacher. My dad had two sons who were preachers. Alice has... Uh, uh, or my cousin Fred, two of his kids are preachers. So if you add up that total, six preachers came out of uh, his son and two others came out of that. So if you add them all up, I think there's six preachers, five or six preachers out of that family. All that to say, your foundation can be a mess, but Jesus can take care of messes. Jesus' story, he, he, he tells a story, and you all know this story about the importance of having having a foundation, the importance of having a rock on which you're building your, your, your life upon. Jesus' story was a story about two men, one who built up on a rock, one who built it on the sand. If you went to Sunday school at all, you know that story because we all learned the wise man built his house upon the rock, house upon the rock, house upon the rock, the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came down, the rains came down, floods came up, rains came down, floods, floods came up, rains came up, rains came, up, rains came, up rains came up, floods came up. And the house on the sprock stood firm. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. sand. Rains came down, floods came up, rings come down, floods came up, rings come down, floods came up. And the rock house on the sand went splat. We used to love that in children's church. That was one of our happy songs. We loved having the house go splat. And the harder it went splat, the better it was. Splat, 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 splat. Oh, the house on the on the sand went splat. It hurts your hand, you splatted it so hard. <laughs> it was fun in children's church, but you all know it's not fun when your real house goes splat, when life and things and priorities take over instead of the foundation built on Jesus and our house goes splat. There's an interesting quote from Pope Francis latest book called called let us dream and he said this i thought it was really important he said the basic rule of a crisis and you don't realize that going through a pandemic i think that counts as a crisis the basic rule of a crisis is you don't come out of it the same if you get through a crisis and sometimes folks don't make it through a crisis if you get through a crisis you come out better or worse never the same and the question for us the really important question through this series is will your home will your life come through this crisis better or worse it won't be the same will you make it through better We all want to say, yes, I'm going to make it through better. Of course, I want to make it through better. I don't want to be be worse. Well, how are you going to make it through better? What's the foundation? What's the main ingredient to make sure that you make it through this crisis better, not worse? Well, of course, we're sitting in church. You know what the preacher's supposed to say. It's having your home built on that solid rock, that foundation of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to say, but sometimes so hard to put into practice. You can, you, you can tell that there's a great um, reminder for us from the great Old Testament story of Joshua. Joshua 24 is a very important chapter. It's in really the culmination of, of that book of Joshua, culmination of Joshua's life. He's giving his farewell address. When I said that, when I was writing this, I thought, some of you thought, you know, because of district assembly and my name being on the ballot for district superintendent, that this would be my farewell address. Well, it's not. You're stuck with me. And so, no, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Just stop that. All right. So this is this is Joshua's farewell address. It's really important. The people, he had been their leader and had got them through the promised land and they had conquered the promised land and, and, and everything was great. And so all these people gather in the Valley of Shechem. Now that might not mean anything to you. Valley of Shechem, big deal, Valley of Shechem. But the Valley of Shechem, someone has said the Valley of Shechem would be like if we could put a Gettysburg and Independence Hall and maybe, you know, a Plymouth Rock all in the same spot it held that kind of significance to the people of Israel. Plus, some would say it's the most beautiful valley in all of Israel. So in this scenic, meaningful location, everyone gathers to hear Joshua's final, final words. He had been a great leader, he had led them through, and so they're all there, all, some would say, a million people gathered in the Valley of Shechem to hear this last report from Joshua. Now, I don't know the dynamics of that day, my goodness, we just put in a new sound system so you and you at home could hear us, hear us, hear us. And I don't know the dynamics of, of the day of how could a million people hear an old man give a report. But I guess, I guess, I figure if God can, you know, um, uh, have the walls of Jericho go down with a, a holler and a horn and if God could, 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 have the sun stand still for 24 hours in a day then he could make it possible for a million people to hear old man Joshua give this report and Joshua does and he begins with a history lesson he, he starts off by saying how God had been with them and how God had delivered them out of Egypt and how the Red Sea split and how they came through and how they were in the wilderness it's interesting maybe what 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 Joshua says about that period of time 40 years in the wilderness, you would have thought he could have. I mean, this is his final report, right? And these people had been complainers. They had been grumblers. They had been, uh, the first chance they got when Moses was up on the mountain, remember, they made the golden calf and that whole fiasco, you know, and Moses came down, sees the golden calf, breaks the Ten Commandments. It seemed like every chance they got, they showed very little backbone, very little faith, very little trust if Joshua wanted he could really you know let him have it you flip-flopping blah 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 this is what you get but he didn't he summarized those 40 years in the wilderness by just this phrase then for a long time he lived in the desert (laughs) that's it Nothing about the golden calf, nothing about their complaining and whining and grumbling, nothing about all the grief, nothing about, you know, we could have made this trip in, you know, a couple of months. Instead, it was 40 years. And for a long time, you were in the desert. So, that's all. You know, I think there's a lesson there. We can, we can spend our life grumbling and complaining and looking back about how we should have done this different or that different, or changed that circumstance, or maybe done a little better there. And sometimes we just need to move on. We need to leave the past in the past. And sure, we made mistakes, everybody does. Sure, we made mistakes. Sure, that could have done things better. Sure, all those things happen. But Joshua, and for a long time, we were in the desert, that's it. It kind of reminds me of, remember when Paul was in prison? Paul was in a prison, chained to a wall, eventually going to be executed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say about that experience? He doesn't say, say, whatever is horrible, whatever is wrong in your life, whatever is terrible, whatever is, if if there's mean guards around, if the food stinks, if the, let's not even talk about the restroom facilities in this Roman prison, if you've got a lot of trouble, think on those things. That is not what he said whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, probably none of those things existed in a Roman prison. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Man, that is such good advice for us. Because so often, in a pandemic... It's easy to think, oh, these things are terrible. All this stuff is a mess. All these things are blah, 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 blah. It's easy to complain. It's easy to look at all the problems. It's easy to, to think of all the things that you don't have rather than the things that you do have. It's easy to just count your woes. Someone, not, not me, someone wrote, wrote this I'm trying to find. It's a great poem, but I can't find. Here we go. Count your blessings instead of crosses. Count your gains instead of losses. Count your joys instead of woes. Count your friends instead of foes. Count your smiles instead of tears. Count your courage instead of fears. Count your full years instead of lean. Count your kind deeds instead of mean. Count your health instead of wealth. Count on God, not yourself. How true that is. Listen, we're in a pandemic, and some of you have been affected terribly by it. You have family members that have been affected terribly by it. We have a funeral this week for Vivian Jamerson, who died of COVID. We have, th- we have been affected. All of us have been affected. But if you're here, you're at home, and you're watching, can I tell you, count your blessings, you are still blessed You still have things to praise the Lord for. You you. You have plenty of things that you can be thankful for. And you can spend your time complaining about this or that, complaining about the government, complaining about this problem, complaining about the preacher. Believe it or not, it happens from time to time. (laughs) We're going to skip through that. Or you can spend your time counting your blessings that's what joshua's doing hey for a long time you were in the desert let's move on and then he says this he says you didn't do this by your sword or bow you didn't conquer this on your own don't start getting a big head now now you're in the Canaan land. Now the promised land is yours. This land flowing with milk and honey, it's all yours. This land that before you thought were, you know, they were such big warriors. They were, were like grasshoppers in their eyes. That's what you thought. And now we're here and now we've conquered it. And now it's victorious. Don't start getting Mr. Big Had and think it was you. Don't think it was your sword, or your boat. Remember who we were. We were slaves for 400 years. We didn't know anything about war. We didn't know anything about battles. We didn't know anything about chariots and horses. Are you kidding me? We were slaves. We didn't come over into the Canaan land and have a brick uh, uh, building competition. We would have won that if we were doing it on our own strength. No, we're victorious for one reason and one reason only it's God Almighty. Hallelujah. And you know what? That's the same with us. You're going to make it better or worse through this pandemic. When you make it better, you'll be making it better only because of God Almighty. He's going to see you through. He's by your side. You can trust in him, not, not just now, always. That's the point. And then Joshua culminates with that great and powerful passage. Joshua 15, or 14 and 15. It says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers' worship beyond the 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 river in Egypt, and serve the Lord your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as whether the uh, but as for me, and my house, we will serve the Lord. Saying you've got a choice. You can choose who you want to serve. You can, you, can, you can serve the, the, the gods of the people whose land you're now living, the Canaanites. You can serve the gods that your forefathers worshipped long, long, long ago. Or you can serve God Almighty. It's up to you. It's your choice. Same with us. You have a choice how you're going to live your life. I can't make it. Uh, uh, your, your parents, your grandparents, they can't. They can't make your spouse. They can't make that decision for you. It's up to you. Who are you going to serve? It's your choice. How are you going to live your life? I have a friend. He is a a drug addict. He's a great guy. But he's addicted. And every now and then, he makes his way into a church. And every now and then, he makes his way to an altar. And every now and then, he says, Jesus, I have messed up my life. You got to get it straightened around. And guess what? Jesus helps him. Every time he's prayed that prayer, Jesus helps him. The problem is, he starts doing well. He's just clean and sober. And then the grip of that old drug just pulls him back in. And before long, he's back doing the same things he's done before. I've seen this cycle happen over and over. He's lost his family. He's lost his kids. He's lost job after job after job. And he's, he is not a bad person. Don't hear me say that he's a bad person. He's a, he's a great guy, especially when he's sober. He's a great guy. You have to choose Christ and keep choosing Jesus. It's choosing Jesus today. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm completely yours. I'm going to be yours. I'm going to build my house. You're the ingredient that I need in my house. It's choosing Jesus. And then it's keep choosing Jesus because temptations are going to come they're going to come news flash there's going to be storms going to hit every house remember the, the and when the storms come floods come, comes up it happens to everybody it happens to the the house is built on the rock it happens to the house is built on the stand storms are going to come into your life we're in a storm right now called a pandemic storms are going to come no one skates through life with no storms you know, you're going to have death in your home. You're going to have sickness in your home. You're going to have problems in your home. It happens to everybody. That's, that's universal. Storms come. Will your, will your house, will you make it through this storm better? That only happens through Jesus. That only happens not only through Jesus, but it's keep choosing Jesus. I'm choosing Jesus today I'm choosing Jesus tomorrow When temptation comes No, I'm choosing Jesus When problems come I'm choosing Jesus When worries come I'm trusting in Jesus It's constantly choosing Jesus As for me and my house though Then then Joshua concludes You choose what you want But as for me and my house We're serving the Lord (sighs) Ah How many of you have that plaque on a, on, on a plaque or something in your house? Do you have it? We've got one. It's on our end table. As for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord. It's on a little plaque. It needs to be more than a plaque on your wall. I mean, it's fine. it's fine. It's fine. If you've got one, we've got one for crying out loud. It's in my living room. But it needs to be more than a plaque on your wall. It needs to be more than a slogan. It needs to be more than, okay, I'm going to serve. It needs to be more than just bumping your head on an altar. Okay, I'm good to go. I've got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. I'm, I'm off to heaven. No, no, no. It needs to be the foundation of your life. It's for me and my house. Now, sir, the Lord. If you're, if you're in the next service, we have a few more teenagers than in this service. But if we're a teenager, it's, it's saying, listen, even, even before I have a house, I'm deciding, I'm going to serve the Lord. It's when you do have, when you're a parent, it's saying, yes, for me and my house. we're going to do everything we can to serve the Lord. When you're, when you're a grandparent, it's saying, I want to continue this legacy of serving the Lord. It's saying, throughout all the, storm, all the storms, all the problems, all the whatever's in life, I am going to serve the Lord. The one thing I'm committed to, as for me, as for me, the one thing I know, I'm serving the Lord. Is that you? Every area of your life? Giving God first place? See, I've seen too many families ripped apart. Because, because the foundation was not Jesus. The foundation, the rock, was not Jesus. It was, you know, things, not bad things, just things, stuff, you know, money, whatever, toys. All those things can come into play other than Jesus. This isn't just an old person thing. Oh, when I'm old, I'll get ready. I'll make sure that Jesus is my foundation before I take my last breath. Well, no, we need to make sure we're ready today. We need to make sure that Jesus is is the foundation of our life today. We're not guaranteed. My goodness, we're not guaranteed a thing. But sometimes storms come in our life. And when those storms come, we need to make sure that Jesus is the foundation. Listen, we're going to... This is a simple sermon today. You all know that verse. You can quote it. you got it plastered on your house but is it real in your life?